We are talking about being likable, and just real quick review from last week, we discovered that likable has nothing to do with your personality or what you're born with. We talked about the seven myths of likability, and uh, a lot of people think the wrong things about it, and because of that, they never really are able to be truly likable, which is why we're emphasizing that word in our, in our theme right now. Last week, we saw that true likability comes when you and I bring more pluses to the situation than minuses. If you bring more pluses to your family than minuses, then you're likable. If you bring more minuses, your family may love you, but you're not likable. And it's true at work. It's true in every environment. And we saw that, you know, Jesus grew more likable every day, Luke 2.52. The early church, back when there was only one church, they were likable. No wonder they grew from 120 to so many thousands of people that nobody could number them within, now catch this, within days. Did you know that? Back when there was one church, it grew from 120 to so many thousand, nobody could count anymore. And the Bible answers the question for us as to why they did that. They were likable. They were attractive. I don't mean they were likable to each other, and I hope they were. I'm sure they were. But the important thing was they were likable for the outside community. That gives me a chance, before I get into the service of the sermon today, to talk to you about something that's really exciting here at Messiah. For those of you who've been here for a long time, you may have known about this for a good while. Others of you, it's going to be fairly new. We've been praying for a long time about God's will regarding our name. There was a point about four years ago when we decided that we were going to exist as a church for the people who do not know Jesus yet. Most churches exist for each other, and the pressure they feel is from the inside. And that's why churches oftentimes are irrelevant and not successful at reaching people. So we decided that the pressure we're going to feel here comes from the people who aren't here yet, people who are seeking and searching. And one of the barriers that we had at to be honest with you, was our name, because people would pass it by, and they would see our name and say, are you a messianic congregation? You know, do, you, do you sort of mix Judaism and Christianity? And others would see the name Baptist on the sign, and they would say, well, if I go there, is someone going to make a Baptist out of me, or is it only Baptists who are welcome there? And the irony of all that was we weren't really part of any denomination. We weren't Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, Missionary Baptist. You know, we always say we were barely Baptist, and, and so... Um, we really prayed, and we said, you know what? Our name doesn't exist for us. It exists for people on the outside who need to know what God is doing here. One of the things that we heard over and over and over again when people would come to Messiah, and you may be one of those people who came here and said this, but many people would say, I started life over again when I came to this church. I came to know Jesus Christ, or I came back to Jesus, but my life started over again. And so we really begin to think and pray about what would be a name that would match what God is doing here? Because we, we didn't want to change our name for the church to change. The church had already changed. We just wanted a name that, that matched it. And so our staff prayed about it, our leadership board prayed about it, and we recommended it. And on Wednesday night, um, this last week, it was just the, in fact, I had a good friend who's been at Messiah for almost 40 years. He said Wednesday night, Power Lines was the greatest service he'd ever been in his life. If you were there, you know what it was like. I mean, it was just awesome. But our church voted unanimously to embrace the new name New Spring Church. And so as of right now, you're in New Spring Church. And I am so thankful for what God is doing here and the way he's working in our lives. And uh, so we just can't wait to see what God does here next. I'm going to the message today. I, I've always believed, maybe not always believed, but I've come to believe that people who aren't likable know it. I just don't think unlikable people are surprised that they aren't likable. I think they figure it out. Oftentimes, unlikable people figure it out very early in life. And, and, and I'm not saying, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but we've been thinking a whole lot about sociopathic behavior and, and people that like go to the extreme. 
I know that there could be all kinds of mental issues and, and emotional issues that are tied up with that, but I really do believe that at least one element in their emotional cocktail that makes them become what they are is early on in life they just believed and knew that they weren't likable. And so when I, when I think about that, it, it hits me that there are people that will do different things because they know that they're not likable. Um, one thing that I've watched through the years is sometimes unlikable people will try to attach to likable people. As if, if they can attach to likable people, you know, that likable person's aura will cover them and they'll, they'll be okay because they're involved with likable people. And that's why some kids at school, you know, they always want to hang with the likable person because they may know, you know, nobody likes me, but if I can be with this guy, if I can be with this girl, then people will like me. And it just goes all the way through life. And what I've seen on occasion, and sometimes too often, is I've seen that an unlikable person will look for a likable person to marry. You know, an unlikable guy will think, you know, nobody likes me, and I'm not likable, whatever, I just do the bad cards in life. And, but I'm going to find a woman who's really likable that everybody likes because if I can attach myself to her, then maybe she'll be the solution for my issues that I'm not likable. Or I've also watched sometimes a woman who's not likable, and she'll find some guy that's got a lot of color and energy and likability, and she will marry this guy as if to say, if I attach to him, then his likability is going to spill over on me. And i got to tell you, just from what I've watched the years, that does not work. Could I just put that in all caps? That does not work. Because what happens is it isn't very long before the unlikable person doesn't like her husband or his wife, because it's like, man, this guy's, you know, he's different from me and she's different from me and it just drives a likable person to the point of despair. So that's one thing that happens when, when people are unlikable and they know it, often they will attach to people who are likable. Secondly, they'll find people who are losers in life and they'll sit around and talk about how everybody's phony. Now, if you're in that kind of environment, if you work there and there's like this little cluster of people that on their lunch break, they go into the break room and they talk about how everybody's phony, what you've got is you've got a cluster of losers you got a cluster of unlikable people, but the thing is they know they're unlikable. So therefore, the, the likable people, like I taught last week, the likable people have to be phony. So they just sit around talking. I mean, that's, that's their life. They talk about how everybody's phony and they're critical and this person's let me down, this person, man, not pulling his load. And I just don't know why they keep this person around and so on and so forth. And there's something else that uh, sometimes unlikable people do. And, and, and they will, they'll have the best of intentions maybe, but they're always reinventing themselves. Because I'm not likable, maybe I'll try a different shade for this, you know, for this week. I'll be a different person. I'll, I'll try to be something that I'm not. And maybe if I'm something different, maybe people will like me. So they always reinvent themselves. And I'm not talking about improving ourselves, because that should be the case for all of us. But I'm talking about somebody that's like, you see the person one day, you don't know who this person is. You see them the next day, you don't know who that person is. But it's different from the person you saw yesterday. And then there are some that just give up. And they know they're unlikable, and they become total jerks. It's as if to say, I'm unlikable, so deal with it. I ran into a good friend on the way in here this morning. He was talking about, um, he was talking about a supervisor. And the supervisor is, is, you know, he's one of those people. And he just had people under him resign, 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 top people leaving, leaving, leaving. Because what this guy's got, you know, he's saying, I, I'm a jerk, and I know it, and so I'm just going to make everybody meet me on my level. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I said that for a reason today because if you struggle with likability, and to some degree all of us do, but if you really struggle with likability in a major league way and you know it, it's inside of you, you know it. I, I have the most wonderful news in the world for you today, and it's this. Anybody can be likable. And I mean that with all my heart. This is, this is what drove this series. Everybody 
can be likable. Everybody can be attractive. And that's important because likability opens doors. Likability will bring you into relationships with winners in life. Everybody can be likable. You say, well, Mark, I just didn't draw a likable personality. Nuts to that. Any personality can be likable. Because likability has zero to do with personality. It doesn't matter whether you're outgoing or shy. Makes, I mean, how many of you like people who are very, very shy? They're, they're not outgoing. They're, they're sort of quiet. But we, we adore those people. See, it has nothing to do with personality. I mean, I, I am the total opposite of the analytical person, okay? And that, that goes to this morning's message because this morning's message is kind of a systematic message, and it's not my kind of message. As you can tell, I'm like taking my time to get there because I know once I get there, it's not going to be my kind of message. You know, it's ABC, that kind of thing. I'm the total opposite of analytical people, and yet some of the most likable people in my life, and sometimes the people who keep me out of so much trouble are the analytical types, and I like them very much. See, has absolutely nothing to do with personality, has nothing to do with how you grew up, has nothing to do with your family. Likeability, if I can give you one line this morning, likeability is a choice. It's a choice. There are four secrets that likable people know. If you will know these secrets, you can be absolutely, totally likable. doesn't mean that everybody will like you, okay? That doesn't mean that. I'm just saying you'll be the person that, that peop, really, the people that matter in life to you, the people who are, the people that you love, you'll be the person that people can like, be truly likable. So this morning, we're going to head right into this systematic message that I'm trying to avoid. Uh, next week, I'll be talking about, a me- next week is my message, just the one that I need, the one that I'm really pumped about. And so, you know, just before uh, we get there, I, I want to tell you next week's message has to do with power being low maintenance. And if, if you ever felt like maybe you might be high maintenance in a relationship, it's really important to be here. If you struggle with somebody who's high maintenance, it's very, 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 very important for you to be here next week. But now let me give you just four things that likable people know, four secrets that likable people know. I made you a promise this morning. I said anybody can be likable, and I'm about to prove it to you. Here's the first secret that likable people know. Before I get to it, let me say this. Each one of these is essential. There are four of these, and you've got to have all four. It does, you can't make a 75 on this test and pass. You have to have all four, and they get more important as we go up. So let's start with the one that's foundational. Here's the first secret likable people know. They know number one. It's not about me, it's about you. And you say, Mark, I covered that in Dale Carnegie, or I covered that in some seminar. Well, let me just tell you, the Bible covered it a long time before any of those people got around to it. In Philippians chapter 2, and we'll see this in just a moment, the Bible says don't just look at your own stuff, look at the stuff of other people. Don't just be focused on what's going on in your world, be interested in other people. There is nothing in the world that turns people off like self-focus. You know, you ever meet somebody and he or she just talks about themselves all the time and everything is about them and it's their world and their life and it's like you know hey I feel like I'm looking you know through the knothole at the stadium when I talk to you because everything is about you and there are people that very craftily work their conversation so that it's still about them let me just tell you that the mo- one of the most powerful things you can do to be likable is just to be gracious and friendly you know, friendliness, we, th- we think about friendliness. What is friendliness? Friendliness just says, I'm interested in you. You know, when people aren't friendly, you know, when it's just them and they don't care about you, they don't care about the people around them, what they're saying is, my life is about myself. That is why friendliness is so powerful. And so I just want to encourage you to start there. 
to ask yourself how friendly, not, not how outgoing, but how friendly am I? Do I communicate to people that I like them? You want them to be likable? The answer, first and foremost, as we're going to start off today, is like people. You have to like others. You just say, well, Mark, I, you know, I like to just go in. I like to sit at my terminal. I don't like to talk to anybody. I want to tell you in love, you got issues. You got serious issues. And so I want to encourage you, be friendly. And look, I didn't, I didn't give this to the tech team, so I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this on them. But in Colossians chapter 4, here's what the Bible says in verse 5. And it's talking about people who follow Jesus and the way they live their lives around people who don't follow Jesus. The Bible says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious. Okay, remember I already said Christians don't pay enough attention to attractiveness. Listen to what the Bible says. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. That means likable. The things that we say, God is saying. Make sure that the things you say to people are gracious. That means it's giving. People feel like they've been added to and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone so god is saying here think about the way that you come across you know and i just i dealt with this last week i'll make sure i deal with it again people say sometimes well it's just me no the bible is saying take you who you are match it up with the bible and make sure that your conversation is friendly and gracious to other people now there are christians and i've met a few at least they are in church, who have the idea that their spiritual gift is a gift of criticism. God has called them to straighten everybody out. And, you know, these people always wonder, you know, why, why do I drive people away? But, you know, I know their problem. I can just tell them, I mean, A, B, C, D. If they would just do what I tell them, they could straighten out their lives. And people, you know, sometimes when they're confronted about that attitude, they'll just say, well, you know, I'm just being honest. I'm just telling the truth. Listen to what the Bible says about that. In Proverbs 19, verse 11, the Bible says sensible people control their temper. They earn respect. That's another euphemism for likability. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. That doesn't mean you can never confront someone about something that they're doing wrong, but what it does mean is that when you talk to people, no matter what you have to say, that person feels like they have been added to. Could I encourage us, every single one of us, including your pastor, could I encourage every one of us to think about and calibrate our speaking and make sure that we don't speak until we're assured the person who's listening to us will feel added to? You know, you never have to be unpleasant. I've had to communicate uncomfortable truths. In fact, I probably have to do that on most days of my life. But there's never any reason to be unpleasant. You say, well, Mark, you don't know that person. You know, that person's unpleasant to me. Here's the deal. It may be true that you are pleasant to someone who's unpleasant to you, but the important thing is that 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 environment, that relationship, the important thing is that it doesn't change who you are. You know, if you have a conflict with someone, deal with the conflict, but don't let it change you. Don't let it turn you into an angry person. Don't let it turn you into a vindictive. Don't get on their level. You know, Adrian Rogers, who pastored Bellevue Baptist Church, he was a gracious friend of mine. He used to tell me, he'd say, Mark, he said a... um, a dog can whip a skunk, but it's not worth his trouble. And that's important to remember. In Proverbs chapter 3, the Bible is talking about wisdom, and it personifies wisdom. It talks about wisdom as though she were a woman. And because the Bible is trying to show us, live wisely and you'll be like this. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 verse 17, her ways 
our pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. My grandmother, you've heard me talk about her many times. She was just a godly, godly, awesome woman. She was the most likable person I've ever met in my life. My grandmother used to talk about people. She would really talk about women sometimes, and she would say, you know, she's got pretty ways. She's got pleasant ways. Can you remember that? I know that's kind of an old expression, but anybody in your life talk about that? You know, she's got pretty ways. What my grandma was saying is this woman, whatever she has to do, she just goes about it in a beautiful way. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Hey, guys, the people in your world are scared to death. Never forget that. This is a scary, scary world. And people, when they meet you, I want you to imagine they have an imaginary question across themselves and a sign. I want you to imagine this sign. People are asking, am I safe with you? Because this is a scary world. People don't know sometimes if they're safe with their spouses, if they're safe with their kids, if they're safe with their parents. People are scared to death in the workplace. People are just scared. We live in, as one poet called this, the age of anxiety. And our world is searching for somebody where that person, you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm likable because I got a lot of issues that I'm working with here. But I, I remember one day, this has been back at the old location, we had invited a very famous guest speaker, a pastor who was well-known all over the country. And I noticed that when he and I were in the car, you know, he would just start telling me things that if, if it got out, you know, he would tell me about, what I mean by that, he had some serious questions about his beliefs. And he would say, I, don't, I really don't know what to think about this. And I thought, if I told what he just told me, I could really cause this guy some difficulty. And so one day I got up my courage and I asked him, I said, why do you tell me these things? And here's what he said. He said, Mark, I can always let my hair down around you. He didn't have very much of it, but he just said it. He said, I can always let my hair down around you. And it, it, it just it resonated with me because what he was trying to say is, I know I'm safe when I talk to you. And that's what people are looking for. That's step number one. Be gracious, be friendly, be the kind of person that people enjoy being around. We never have to be unpleasant. So let's say you do that. Let's say you take that first step and you're friendly to people. Even when you don't necessarily feel like it, you're always asking yourself, what can I do to let people know that it isn't about me, it's about them? What's next? Here's number two. The second secret that likable people know is that if you want to be likable and you want to have great relationships, find something in common. You know, I like people, but we don't have anything in common. Game, set, match. Sort of ends right there. But when I really like someone, and when, I, when that person's friendly to me and I'm friendly to that person, it is just the natural, logical step to find out what we have in common. And my guess is, I guess this last week, everybody here is likable. Isn't that what you do? You meet somebody, you're friendly with that person, maybe you sit down on an airplane and you sort of like strike up a conversation. The very next thing you try to do is find out what do we have in common. Are you leaving home or going home? Do we live in the same city? What do you do for a living? Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your work. I mean, how many times have I sat on an airplane and, you know, don't know the person sitting next to me, but by the time the flight is over, I know that person pretty well because what we ask ourselves is what do we have in common? That's what likable people do. Unlikable people put up barriers. Unlikable people say, don't come any closer. I don't want to find out if I have anything in common with you. I just want us to have a barrier. You keep your space. Don't come any closer. Likable people are always looking for a way to build a bridge. Unlikable people are saying, I don't necessarily have to relate to you. Just as long as I get my props and get my money or whatever, I don't have to relate to you. Unlikable people do that. 
We've been talking about Jesus. Remember I said he grew more likable every day? He's the perfect likable person. Now, when Jesus taught, when Jesus taught the crowds, he was totally different from the religious leaders of his day. You know why? Because the, because the religious leaders of his day were like experts, and they wanted to get their props as being experts. So what they did was they talked to people over their heads. I mean, people would say, I don't know what he's talking about, but boy, wasn't that brilliant, you know? And they would cite Rabbi Spudani and, 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 you know, spiritual precedent, religious precedent from centuries before, and they'd have this long gobbledygook of stuff that nobody understood. And people would walk away, and no wonder they didn't come back. But when Jesus talked, he just talked about things that people understood. He talked about a shepherd that lost a sheep. Bingo. He just attached himself to every shepherd there. We got something in common. He talked about a woman who was, you know, lost one of the coins of her dowry and swept the house until she found it. He just... He just synced with every woman in his crowd who was married. He talked about a, a dad who had two boys, and one of them really disappointed him. I guarantee you, he just linked up with every parent in that room. That's how Jesus, I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to, go home and read it. Look at what Jesus talked about. He started off by saying, do you want to be happy? Here's how to be happy. You got relationship problems? Here's how to solve your relationship problems. Here's how to pray. I mean, you know, here's what happens to people when they leave this life. Just over and over and over, Jesus found common points, and he used those common points. So did Paul. Paul said, you know, forgive me, for, in case you might not be familiar, Paul was the leading figure of the church after Jesus rose from the grave, and he took the gospel, the good news about salvation, all over the world, made three missionary journeys, started multiple churches, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 13 books of your New Testament. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, you know what? When I'm with the Jews, I, fu I function like a Jew. When I'm with the Greeks, I function like a Greek. And here's what he said. I've become all things to all people so that I might bring some people to Jesus. What Paul is saying is it's important to be likable. I want to find something that I can sync up with. I want to sync up with my Jewish friends. I want to sync up with my Roman friends. He was finding things that he had in common. Now, I hope that all of us will, will do that because it's the second secret of being likable. And here's where I struggle, because you know me, I have ADHD, I'm very verbal, I use a lot of words. Sometimes it is a challenge for me to remember that God gave me one mouth and two ears. I think God made my ears big so I wouldn't forget that. I talked about my grandmother, she used to say when I was a little boy, my ears are so big I look like a Volkswagen coming down the road with both doors open, you know? <laughs> But if I'm going to have something in common with you, I've got to listen to you. I've got to find out what's on your mind, what you're thinking about. I think many times followers of Jesus alienate people who aren't followers because they just don't take time to listen. It's because I've got what you need to hear. Sit still and let me tell it to you. I have a friend who ministers to college students in Minnesota. And he had been talking to a young man who was not a follower of Jesus, not even a believer in God. And this guy played the guitar, and he didn't have money to go through college, so he earned his way through college by playing for bars and playing for restaurants. And, and, but, but my friend would take this guy to coffee, and they would just sit and talk. And so my, my, this, this guy told my friend, he said, uh, I was playing in a restaurant the other day, and some people asked me to come over to their table, and I just thought they wanted to hang with me for a little while. But he said when I got over there, they sort of ambushed me with, the, with, with, with religion. You know, they were trying to, to, to make a believer out of me, and he said they just like hammered me, hammered me, and hammered me. And he said, finally, I just got angry and got up and left, and I thought, I don't agree with those people on anything. 
Then my friend said, well, why do you have coffee with me? Because you and I don't agree on about anything. And here's what his answer was. He said, because you listen to me. Now I want to challenge all of us today to think about that. That's the second stage of likability, finding something in common. And we can't find things in common until we listen. Third secret that likable people know, and this is absolutely key. And as I said, we're graduating. We're going up to a higher level each time. Likable people know that in order to be likable, you really need to care. You can't pretend to care. You've got to really care about people. This is an I don't give a rip world, isn't it? I mean, we live in a world where you might have your job today, you might not have your job tomorrow. We, we live in a world where people walk out on husbands and wives. We live in a world where people are, are awful to their children sometimes. It's an awful world. And I think people today are hungry for somebody who just cares about what's going on in their world. And if you want to be truly likable, that's the third secret. You just care. And I mean really care. I watch a trend in America, and I, I really thought long and hard before I brought this point to you because you could, you could take this the wrong way. But have you ever noticed that when there's some sort of crisis in America in the last few years, it's like Americans rush to it, and it almost becomes like a celebrity charity? I call it boutique charity. Now, the thing of it is, I'm not against being involved in, in these charities because we all should. If a hurricane hits or a disaster hits, we ought to be all over it. We ought to give. But I really have come to believe that Americans attach these boutique charities in order to salve their conscience for not caring for the person next door. I think we, we just don't care most of the time as long as we get our paycheck and live in our house and drive our cars and have our recreation, our vacations, and so on. I don't mean all of us, but I think that's just sort of the American way. People today are hungry, so hungry, for somebody who cares. Now, guys, I want to dial this, I want to dial this in for many of us who grew up in church. I have watched for many years in my churches that I've served, in the churches where I speak, that oftentimes people who know they believe the right things will often not care about people on the outside, as if believing the right thing will keep you from having to care. Just like I said a moment ago about people who give to boutique charities. Many people in churches today don't really care about people who don't know Jesus. Because, bless God, I believe the right thing. I mean, I, I travel the country. People ask me questions about churches and how churches can transition and be effective in reaching people on the outside. And the one thing that comes to me over and over and over is that most American Christians do not really want their churches to grow. Somebody would lose power. And as long as I'm going to heaven, hey, it's here if they want to come in and get it. And we live in a world today where Christians many times are judgmental. as if, well, I really believe the right thing about abortion so I can just not care about people who would, who would get an abortion. I believe the right thing about, about a gay lifestyle so I don't even have to care about people who, who don't maintain the right kind of sexual lifestyle. I mean, yes, it's right to believe the right things, and we should never compromise what we believe about what God says, but shouldn't we still care? I mean, shouldn't those people still matter to us? I just, I, I meet so many people who, who follow Jesus and as, as if to say, well, I, I know who's right and who's wrong, and I'm, I'm the one keeping score, and I've got the list, and I know who's naughty and who's nice, and I've checked the list, and I've checked it twice. Now, if anyone could be like that here today, and I doubt that anyone is because Messiah wouldn't be out New Spring. I've got to keep a jar up here where I put a dollar every time I say that. If, 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 this is, 
You know, chances are you wouldn't be in this church if you feel that way. But in case, I just want you to know what God has to say about this and why you're not likable. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or what we drink. Now, in those days, there was an argument over whether you could eat a steak if it had been dedicated to an idol. You know, they would dedicate the meat to the idols that would be in the marketplace, and Christians were getting all torqued and upset about this because some Christians were eating meat that they bought at the market, you know, and there were, you know, you know how the people try to buy the meat today that's, you know, that's free of all the additives and stuff. Well, the, there were some of the Christians who were just so hyper-spiritual that they just wouldn't buy a steak if it had come from the marketplace because it had been dedicated to idols. And here's what Paul said. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God. Uh-oh, Paul, what comes next? And others will approve of you too. That says you will be likable. I mean, stand for what's right, but don't split hairs about the non-essentials. And then he closed by saying, so then let us aim for harmony and try to build each other up. That's what I'm trying to talk to you about, folks. Care. You know, care is empathy. You know, there are two words that we're familiar with probably when it comes to caring, sympathy and empathy. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy says, I know how you feel. Empathy says, I feel what you feel. But here's, the diff- here's, the, here's why sympathy is, is inferior to empathy. If I say, I know how you feel, your feelings are still coming through the prism of my terms. It's still me. You know, I saw this, this week there was a, a blooper in a church in, in, in North Carolina, and here's what the announcement said. Low self-esteem support group, 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastview Baptist Church. Use the back door. <laughs> Sometimes sympathy can be like that. I know how you feel, but it's through the back door. It's on my terms. Empathy says, I get in your skin, and I think about what it would be like to go through what you're going through. And I actually begin to feel what you feel. Supermodel Tyra Banks did something the other day. She donned a fat suit, 350, to look like she was 350 pounds. And this beautiful, beautiful woman talked about what it was like to walk around town and the stairs and the ugly remarks that people would make just because they thought that this supermodel weighed 350 pounds. And she said, for a few moments, I got into the world of what someone has to deal with who's overweight. Here's number four. You say, well, Mark, you've really already covered it. You talked about me being friendly. You know, you've talked about me finding things in common with somebody else. And you've talked about me caring. Surely that would make me likable. It'll help. And those are essential. But you know what? You can do one through three. And if number four is not there, it'll go all down the tubes. Here's number four. Likable, truly likable people know you got to keep it real. You got to keep it real. Because you know what? You can be friendly, and, and you may have watched this happen where you work or in your family and your friendships. You can be friendly. You can find things in common with people. You can care about people. But if that honesty thing comes back to bite you, if somehow that person finds out that you're lying to them or that you're not real, everything that you've worked for will go down the tubes. It's important to be who you really are. I was reading the paper this morning. I took my son Stephen to McDonald's on the way here. And this is the Sunday Eagle. And in People, uh, I saw this. Do you see this? It says, Idle Judge Goes on Ego Trip. 
Any of you read this? This is really classic. Paula Abdul is a sweetie on American Idol. Read that likable. But some folks claim she's not so sweet when she's an airline passenger. MSNBC online says Abdul was a diva during a recent flight, demanding but not getting special treatment. She pulled a major diva, one eyewitness told the, the, the paper. The other passengers were not amused. The television show judge was booked on a sold-out Southwest Airlines flight from San Jose to Burbank and reportedly demanded first-class treatment, even though there's no first-class section on the airline. She asked to be led on the plane and seated first, the source said. When Abdul was told that only young children, people with disabilities, and elderly were allowed to board early, she reportedly declared, but I'm famous. I need to go on first. A number of fellow passengers heard the exchange and one shouted at her, you're no Sanjaya, you have to board like everybody else. <laughs> that was cold, wasn't it? And then right below that, there's Alec Baldwin. I mean, I gotta tell you, I, I, I like to watch Alec Baldwin on film because Alec Baldwin almost always appears to be likable on screen, doesn't he? He's got a smile, he's got winning personalities. I mean, even sometimes when he's a villain, he's hard not to like. But if you listen to that phone conversation, when he talked, when he left that voicemail for his 11 or 12-year-old daughter, he wasn't sure how old she was, and called her a rotten little pig, could I ask you a question? How do you like him now? How do you like him now? I have minister friends who were very likable on stage. People liked them. They were good communicators. And one day, the congregation finds out this guy's got a secret life. And no matter how likable he is, no matter how outgoing he is, how friendly he is, how much he's had in common with people, and not, not even how much he's cared for people, will matter if people find out that he's had a secret life. So guys, let me give you some, let me give you some, you know, some clues about this. Before I do, let me read Proverbs 19, verse 22. The Bible says, loyalty makes a person attractive. It's better to be poor than dishonest. Here's what will keep you honest. Here's what will keep you real. Number one, remember where you came from. Because you know what? Every likable person in this room, and, and I'm going to assume if you get through steps one through three, you're going to be a likable person. Every likable person in this room rose from circumstances that were inferior from, to where you are today. And, you know, when you start getting promotions and you get the big office, you get a parking space with your name on it, and people are patting you on the back as being a top performer, if you're not careful, it will be easy to forget where you came from. You know, remember this. The Bible always tries to ask us this question. You know, rem remember who you are. Where would you be if God hadn't helped you? So, number one, remember where you came from. Here's one I try to remember with my staff all the time. Be honest about your shortcomings because when you're honest about your shortcomings, it's not news. People know it already. Be honest about your shortcomings. Number three, tell the truth about what you can and can't deliver. People oftentimes who want to be likable, people who want to reinvent themselves, oftentimes will overpromise and they'll underproduce and they're always appearing to be dishonest. Be honest about what you can and can't do. And here's the big one. Honesty is freedom. Isn't that true? When you level with people about what you're really like, you can be who you really are. You don't have to try to be something that you're not. When you level with people about your strengths and your weaknesses, and you're honest with people and you're transparent and you let people see into your world, you know what you can do? You can be totally free. And freedom 
is attractive. So I just hope and pray that today these things will help. There are four secrets that likable people know. There is no excuse for not being likable. It's not personality. It's not what you're born with. It's not wealth. It's not physical attractiveness. It's these four things. That's the science of likability. Next week, I'll talk to you about the power of being low maintenance.